a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hi! Sup? <laughs> hello, hello. What? How can I help you, ma'am? I'm not... <laughs> I'm not joining you in this energy. The last time we did that and we all sounded like Valley Girls, uh, I got too many tweets. (laughs) Did you really? Yeah. Darn. Mostly from my wife. She said it was the worst intro we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, Dixie. I love you. Yeah, Um, that's fair. So here we be. Here we are recording. And I think it is standard and pretty much expected of us now uh, to ask the question. What are y'all drinking? Here we be. You think it, it's standard? It, well, you, in the spirit of our last episode, uh, I don't want to fail you on this, so wow. I will tell you what I'm drinking, even Thank though you. I don't think I'm necessarily obligated to tell you what I'm drinking. Um, I'm drinking a ginger beer, and I put in my blueberry basil syrup that I made, and it tastes pretty good. I, I am realizing that even though I left the basil leaves in there to infuse a little bit longer, it's not really tasting more basil-y, so I think next time I need more basil but it's good sure it's still really good sure and i'm also drinking a double bagged cup of kava stress relief tea from yogi tea in my opinion tastes more like fall than chai and it's delicious yum whoa that's a hot topic okay steven yogi tea is really the only tea you should buy at grocery stores it's so like i've been impressed by every yogi tea i've tried it's so good surprisingly less of a cultish background than celestial seasonings but it's still up there (laughs) yeah i mean what do you expect uh from equilibrium brewing company in middletown new york i am enjoying Mm. a beer called raspberry dimensions uh this is a sour ipa with raspberry lime and madagascar vanilla notes Ooh, very good very fun combination I'm drinking a smoothie. I ran to the kitchen of the church and made a smoothie. It's a mixed berry with apple juice. Okay, hold on. Stick with me. Stick with me. Greek yogurt and vinegar and oil. Oh, Uh. you lost me on the last two. What kind of vinegar? I used to be a professional smoothie slinger and I've never put oil and vinegar in my smoothies. What kind of vinegar? I have to. Is it apple cider vinegar? It is apple cider vinegar. That's fair. I uh, I've tried. I've had balsamic vinegar on vanilla ice cream, and I got to say that oh, shit mm-hmm. slaps. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. That shit slaps. <laughs> Update my beer. The aftertaste. It's very kombucha vibes. Mm. Very interesting. I haven't gotten that from a beer before. Wonderful. Well, here we are. 
recording on this fine day. Um, and <laughs> so I'm actually going to, I'm going to actually gonna talk about it, Stephen, because it'll tie in really nicely with my topic. So Stephen okay. had someone make an observation about how each of us brings a topic uh, to discuss. And so Josh normally is the one who introduces topics that are very structural, very sociological. Let's, you know, tear this thing apart and get to the root of it all and interpret things. Mm-hmm. Stephen usually brings up topics that are very process oriented and very uh, subjective and let's untangle this thing for self-preservation and knowledge rather than a big sociological lens. And let's be honest, sometimes using you guys as my free therapists. And we, uh, yes, Josh and I <laughs> yeah, are I, I do free therapists. But you're not known for that. Steven is known yeah, for fair. that. I got the and I'm, I'm the fun aunt. And I bring <laughs> topics that are far, far out there and just wacky and here to spice things up. And so I think to come in clutch... And to stay true to my character, today's you topic. You got to meet the expectations. Yeah, damn right I am. Today we're talking about near-death experiences and the impacts that they have on faith. Oh, all right. Yeah, dude. Whether it's we know of people or we know of the stories of near-death experiences and how those experiences impact or don't impact. Uh, faith and our expectations of heaven or salvation. So there it be. Whoa. I would be hard pressed to find someone in the Christian authorship sphere who has written about a near-death experience as a conversion point who has not been debunked as dying or admitting that they made it up. Oh, like heaven is for real? Kind of yeah, thing. like the heaven is for real kid. Like he just straight up admitted that he made up the story. Yeah, because of the pressure so you, put on are, his parents. So are you saying then, I want to be clear on this. So are you saying then that we should just, disc- like, we should we be diligent then about the stories that are published or made into movies if they are not to be true? Oh, I think we should be extremely diligent. It's hard because like obviously near-death experiences are traumatic. Like when they actually do happen... But like I've, we've just seen like time and time again, Christian authors use the near-death experience to like platform their specific idea of heaven as like proof of heaven or afterlife or proof of Jesus. And near-death experiences are already hard to study. So like therefore there's not much like scientific documentation about them in ways that we wish there was. But like it is documented that like under such extreme mental stress like when the body's dying like weird things do happen so like it's not completely unreasonable that you would see figments of your imagination suppose that you are seeing things that you believe in Mm. like that it's not a super far stretch like cognitively speaking but that also does not prove or disprove that those things exist like if a mormon person sees Joseph Smith and the angel Moroni welcoming them into heaven, that doesn't prove that either. So I, I would absolutely say we should be extremely diligent. We should be scientifically skeptical. I don't think that near-death experiences at all prove belief systems or afterlife at all, even if they exist. So since you brought up the book Heaven is for Real, I found a quote from Alex Malarkey, who, of course, the book is about. I would love to read this quote to you if you guys are open for it. Oh, please do. Yeah, please. 
So he wrote an open letter to uh, the retailer Lifeway uh, and other bookstore Oh, I've not read this. And it was basically him as well as uh, the publisher asking to pull the book from being published. And Wow, uh, I did not know that. Soul on the shelf. So here's the quote. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to do so. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. Well, that really took a turn in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> like, woofta. First, the first thing that I glean from this is as a five-year-old feeling pressured to have to say that, it makes me wonder what was his religious upbringing like? I mean, it could have been as simple as being in Sunday school and like learning an elementary version of heaven and afterlife that's like been caricatured in our culture. And then when you've gone through, like he obviously like went through like a traumatic experience. And when that happens, like it's it's so easy for kids to like use language that's already been given to them to explain what's going on with them. But I think there's a difference between that and this product of continuing this lie that never was and then for so many years allowing it to happen and then to finally I just have the guilt I guess like I feel like even at five years old they know how to process something and they're trying to make sense of it but I would imagine it would be hard for a five-year-old to fully believe in that and live into that lie versus knowing that it's wrong Mm. like that you know what I'm saying Family had to be a part of that somewhere. Yeah. I don't know who this one was, but there was another example that I've heard talked about several times. And I I do not know the guy's name, but the story goes is like he was trapped underneath like a semi truck, like under his torso. And then like two angels appeared and like helped him lift the truck up. Something like that. It was like some like angelic visitation. Maybe this is like been told by multiple people too. I don't know if this story is actually original or not. Cause I feel like I've heard it many times, but like, I feel like that's also another great example of like when you're in extreme duress, the body can do incredible things. Like you can lift cars, you can do like crazy things when the adrenaline is pumping through your body as a survival mechanism. And at the same time, like it's not completely unreasonable that your brain will also like interpret you seeing things that you believe in. So would you say then that, any person who has a near-death experience and believes that they have encountered heaven or the divine, should we, we as the listener, should always be weary and like basically hold it with a grain of salt? Yeah, I, I think that's a very gracious way to put it. But yes, <laughs> like I think that we should absolutely encourage people to like find healing and like find like spiritual meaning in the struggles that they go through. But like, I think that those kinds of, those kinds of stories often get used to spiritually manipulate for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. either for the person themselves or like towards other people, like for book sales or for speaking gigs or whatever. And like, I, I don't mean to say that in, and like act like people are purposely being charlatans. I think that like, there are people out there with these experiences who genuinely believe that what they saw was real. And I think that makes it a difficult situation sometimes. What about you, Stephen? 
Do you think there are arenas of reality as we know it that are beyond the scope of science? Yes. Josh? That's a loaded question, but I am going to say... (laughs) Yeah, it's loaded. (laughs) I did that on purpose. I'm going to say yes. I was going to initially say no. I'm going to say yes. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. If you're going to say no, say no, and why? No, I'm going to say yes now. No! No, no, I argued myself into saying yes. He's going to double down. Bob Saget. But I don't think, I I will give a caveat, but I want you to keep talking. You think the question was inappropriately loaded to lead me toward my point? No, that's not, no. I did say it was a loaded question. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But it's your right to ask it. No, my qualm is um, just because I think that some things might be beyond human understanding does not mean that those things are inherently like a spiritual realm or like spiritual beings that we can't see. Yeah, or, you're headed toward mm-hmm. like God of the Gaps, Demon of the Gaps. Yeah. I think yeah. we named an episode that a while ago. We did, Basically, yes. like if we couldn't, you know, if we couldn't explain multiple personality disorder as such as a psychological disorder in the time of Jesus, then we might have just called it demons. That's the Demon of the Gaps. I think that was a thesis of that episode. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I personally, I just have this subjective feeling that I... Uh, I want to hear the story and affirm the storyteller <laughs> as a gut reaction and just be like, yeah, that, that does sound insane. And I like a lot, uh, there's a lot with NDEs. There's a lot of, uh, experiences of people encountering angels or, uh, what they think are demons or anything like that. And I almost think sometimes there's more damage done by going straight to, well, give me the evidence for it or give me the proof of it. Mm-hmm. I think that does more damage to their psyche and honestly yeah, could amplify feelings of already feeling ashamed of like, I had an experience and I don't know how to describe it other than these categories we've already defined for ourselves as demons or angels or uh, gray aliens or whatever. And because those are the categories I'm working with, I, I'm going to sound like I'm a crazy person. And I, I think it makes it worse to not hear them out with a default ear that is judgment free. Mm-hmm. I can get on board with that. I think that's very humanizing. I also am personally a person who thinks <laughs> some of this stuff actually does happen. So <laughs> yes, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you guys. I feel like I'm coming back around to like kind of being on board with the spiritual realm in general. Yeah. Mm. Mm. beings that are perhaps beyond the dimensions we're aware of that somehow still interact. I mean, like, you know, we as three dimensional beings or four, if you're going to include time as kind of like a baseline separate from the spatial dimensions is like, we can interact with the two dimensional world in ways we can at least conceptualize it. Right. So I, I'm starting to come back around in my worldview to some of that exists and i I, you know like i don't know if the stories that are told are there to be profited off of like i i listen to a a couple podcasts that i personally give money to because i like all the bonus content just because i i don't know i don't know i i i feel inclined to believe that this universe is a lot more mysterious than we give it credit for but i don't want that to make it sound like i think science is a limited tool or or right. to say like 
I'm more inclined to believe in the spiritualism of it than the scientific nature of it. Right. Because like I, in some arenas I'll privilege quote unquote, you know, I'll privilege the science. You know, I believe people who say that vaccines are good. Thank you. Give me every vaccine. I'm a vaccine simp. Um, <laughs> I, but also like, you know, I've privileged the science over what some people call a biblical, like young earth creationist view. Like mm. I'm all into the science of the way the universe seems to have appeared and behaves and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I do really feel like I'm coming back around to when it comes to some of the unexplainables. I, I think we're too quick to judgment when it comes to, well, if it can't be measured by science, then it didn't happen or they're making it up or I mean, you know, I'm just not sure. So I'm part of a circle here at my church and circles are basically like just groups who uh, they have business and they do Bible studies and book studies and things like that. And one of the groups that I'm a part of is the Naomi circle and they're reading a book. Um, I'm sorry. Just, I'm sorry. What? The Naomi circle. Naomi circle. Yeah. Naomi. Got it. Naomi. Yeah. Naomi. I heard nail. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board with Naomi circle. Please continue. Members of the circle who listen to this podcast. Um, I'm so, so sorry to the members that, of the Naomi Circle. That is that is great. For the record, um, I'm on so, board for the Naomi Circle too. So the <laughs> so the so the Naomi Circle is reading a book called Proof of Heaven, and it's uh Ooh. man's experience with uh near death experience and coming to Jesus, basically. And it's interesting because. He was someone who originally did not believe in Jesus and was not like well versed in the Bible. And, you know, it wasn't that he was anti God, it just as a scientist and in the realm of study, and he was like a neuroscientist. So, like studying the brain, he just conceptually didn't believe. And then he had this near death experience. And now he's telling the story of why people should believe. And it's really a great book to read. But one of the things that we were discussing was how people who have near-death experiences, it shapes their understanding of salvation and what heaven does look like or could look like and how that shapes people's experiences on earth as far as I now know what heaven looks like. I'm going to live my best life or I saw something horrible and scary and horrendous and I now want to live a better life, you know, kind of like Scrooge in a sense, you know, being visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, future sort of thing. And I'm wondering, Josh, this might be kind of angled more towards you. Do you think that near-death experiences and having an experience tied so specifically to angels or heaven or salvation, do you think that that can be helpful in shaping people's identities and how they carry out their life? Oh, that's a great question. I think that like many things can be transformative in our own lives, like whether it's a near-death experience, whether it's a a drug trip, a bad drug trip, a, a car accident, but like just because like something became transformational for us, like changed our perspective on life, our actions, uh the people around us, whatever, like some perspective shift that's great. Like I think that people like having instances that cause transformation in the end are great. I think that like those instances often 
I think it's more likely to happen with instances that are traumatic in nature. And I don't, I think it's, it's difficult because like if transformation happens in the end, I think we have this tendency to uphold the traumatic thing that happened. And I'm, I don't think many people like talk about it prescriptively, except maybe in like drug communities like acid trips or, you know, like shroom habits, you know, trying to like prescribe it for other people. But like, I think very few people would actually be like, yeah, everybody should have a near death experience. But I do think it's really easy for people to talk about those traumatic experiences as net positive because it caused mm, transformation mm-hmm. in their life. But I think it's a logical jump to conclude that those traumatic experiences proved something because it caused transformation in that person's life. Like, I could have a dream that transforms the way I think about a situation. Did that dream happen? Sort of yes, sort of no. Like, I experienced it. And that, that's important to like not deny, I think, that like people experience those things. But like, did my dream have a concrete reality that can be scientifically measured? No. And I would argue the same is true for near-death experiences. And I think it's really easy for people... Oh, I'm going to be careful with the way I say this. I think it's really easy for, the, for people who believe in spiritual reality that can somehow be experienced by us while also being beyond us. I think it's really easy for people to connect that with something like a near-death experience as a corollary to justify one's belief in that reality. And I'm not, mm. I'm trying to like be very careful with like, I'm not trying to pass judgment on that. Like I, I don't think the people who believe in the spiritual realm are necessarily unintelligent or like misinformed. I, I do think that there are many intelligent people who believe in like spiritual or higher realities that are beyond our understanding. But I think in this specific situation, I think it's a logical jump to look at the cognitive experience of a near-death experience as proof of those realities that we cannot see. Am I making sense? Does that sound like I'm making sense? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. Welcome to The Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. 
Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Listen, we know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt-to-a-crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network shop, or tap the link in the show notes. I have a question for you, then. Do you think... Man, this is going like full bore philosophical so fast. It's like zero to a hundred. But like, do you think there is a single reality? <laughs> this is like straight to like objective truth kind of stuff. But where, where I'm kind of at with that, what you have me thinking, Josh, is that I think it's fascinating given the way our cognitive biases seem to work with what we know about that scientifically at this moment in our uh, species history. I think it's interesting that a priming belief in something like a spiritual realm seems to encourage reality to manifest itself as such to the person who is already inclined to see it, believe it. But do you think that's something different? I, I guess for me, I've heard the subjective accounts of of people who have near-death experiences or visitations or something like that. And it seems because they already believed in it that it happened to them, whereas the people who don't believe in it seem to not experience the same thing. And I'd, I don't know if that means that merely the priming belief sets them up for that or if that moves us further away from the idea of, like, there is a single way that reality presents itself and we're just all kind of bumping up against we're all the blind men touching the elephant. <laughs> and if you're expecting to find the tree trunk feeling leg versus the thin snake feeling trunk, then it will be that for you. Did that question make any sense? Yeah. I think that a really close, approximately close conversation to this is like the world of conspiracy theories. I've listened to multiple podcasts on that this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them was actually kind of about uh, like the world of ancient conspiracy and like how the, like in ancient Roman world, there was this one conspiracy about an emperor that would come back to life. And it, like the, the theory like existed in their culture for like 400 years, which is like by today's standards seems like incredible, especially since the U.S. is relatively young. But I, I think what's interesting about that is like, I think conspiracy theories often... Wow, what are we not going to talk about in this episode? Um, I think conspiracy theories are a great example of like people looking at the same facts and often what happens is 
a, a different interpretation of those facts with a worldview that you are presupposing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what's difficult about pointing that out to people is like we do that all the time. Like we we do bring our biases and our preconceived notions to the table for like all of our reality, like in everyday life. Like we we assume that objects are going to act the same way as the objects that we've seen before. And we assume that like gravity is going to keep working. Like we, we bring all of these like underlying assumptions of the reality that we've experienced up to this point and overlay it onto what's happening now. So to answer your question, I do think that objective reality exists. And I think what's really difficult is the differing interpretations of reality, whether or not those are religious in nature. I think that the abstract ones get a lot harder to yeah. parse out, especially the ones that we cannot very simply prove or disprove. Like some conspiracy theories, very easy to disprove. Like zero grounds for that. Something like a near-death experience, very difficult to disprove. And I, I would argue that like with Steven, I think maybe we should not work to disprove the people's experience of them. And maybe we should be more... Maybe we do more overall net good to just like keep a diligent eye out for people who may be profiting off of a story um, like for yeah, their own game. That at least does less harm. Yeah. Yeah. Like if... I don't know. It's hard because like I, I also... I, in some ways, I feel bad talking about it because I myself have not had a near-death experience. So like I, I don't want to like come across as the all-knowing person about <laughs> near-death experiences. I have not done studies on it. But I feel like I've seen too many people like put too much stock in stories like that that, in my opinion, prove or disprove nothing scientifically. And I think it's one thing to like honor someone's story and experience of trauma and like listen to the way that their incredible mind and body like took that Trump traumatic experience and like transformed their life in the way that they think now for the better. But like, I, I remember this one girl in one of the churches I went to who at church camp for her testimony, she gave, she, this, she was an adult already. She gave that like, she wasn't like a practicing Christian. And then she just like watched a YouTube video one time of like near death experiences. And to her that like proved heaven and proved Jesus. And she was like, so now I'm a Christian. And I was like, like, uh, I don't know. Like, I have a problem with that. Like that, like that feels like shaky ground. Like, if that's truly all her belief in Jesus and Christianity is based off of, I don't think that's like great grounds. Like that, that rug could be taken out from under you pretty easily. So here's a question because I feel like we hear more about near death experiences and people experiencing heaven. But there have been accounts of people having a near-death experience and experiencing hell. What do we do about those instances? Are you talking about the guy who wrote the book 90 Minutes in Hell or whatever? Oh, I forgot that that was a book. But I mean, there are other stories. But yeah, like, yeah, what do we, what do, we do about those instances? Honestly, I haven't paid much attention to those because I just, I think like even in, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I haven't even like thought about this, but I think like even back in the day, like when I like would have said that I believed in hell. I think that even me at the time was like, I don't take that seriously. Like, I don't think they went to hell. Like Hmm. that doesn't make sense. Like why would, like why would they have like been sent to hell just to like come back to life to like, like what precedent is there for that? Like that, that seems like so out of the box that like, I don't, that just like seems fishy to me. Feels too Dante's Inferno. Yeah. I also almost want to invoke the, uh, 
the story in the in the Bible of is it Lazarus who dies, right? And is like let me let me go back to my brothers and warn them that this is the way it is because I'm, you know, I'm being rejected when I'm asking for Abraham. Wow, the story is so wild, but it's like I no, I want to no, it's the rich man. It's the rich man. I want a drop of and, water and, on my tongue. Yeah, he's asking Lazarus to. There yeah. you go. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm actually preaching about that this coming week, like tomorrow. But the story is, no, if they didn't get the point when they were alive, like what's it going to do to send you back to give them a warning? Like they wouldn't believe you anyway. What do you think about people who recant stories about going to hell, Emily? One, I'm kind of like shocked. I think it's just that initial, we're expecting to hear stories of heaven. And then when people actually share stories of hell, you, I think initially you're just kind of taken back, which I've only had a couple of people while I was huh. working as a chaplain share experiences of that. Oh, and interesting. Basically what it comes down to is we end up diving into conversation about how do you see God? Because they find themselves making the realization that I see God as being a vengeful wrath and fury type God versus a loving and compassionate and merciful God. And I think the experiences correlate with how we see God. That's the primed belief thing of like reality will present itself to you as you believe it is. So, and it's, you know, I find myself in interesting positions where they want me to validate their experience. And I, I can't do that because of that, like that wasn't my experience or, Mm. I can't speak to that. And so to kind of divert the conversation of we're not going to we're not going to actually validate whether or not that happened because I can't I can't change that for you because regardless, it happened whether I believe or not. That's besides the point. But what we can discuss is what was the point of it then? If you did experience it and if you believe it to be true for yourself, what should we glean from this? Because there should be something that we can take away. Obviously, if this experience did happen and if it uh. did shake you to your core to the point of where you're now existentially questioning God and salvation and your purpose in life, because that's what it came down to for these two individuals that I remember. Yeah. It was how do you see God in the world and in your life? And what then should you take from this experience? Are there things that you feel like you need to change about? how you're living your life, whether it be how you're treating people or, you know, things that you are intentionally deciding not to do or you are intentionally deciding on doing that aren't necessarily life-giving. And I, again, can't tell you the correct answer. I can only help you process this for yourself and you have to glean the answers, but it can be really shakening for people. And I think near-death experiences can either shape them for the better and they learn something from it and they live their life to the fullest and they don't try to gleam any attention or anything from it. Or it becomes those situations where they get all this praise and this glory and they're living in the riches because of this experience that they've shared over and over again. And they lost sight of what (laughs) the message should have been, you know? Which to be fair, that can happen whether or not some events happened or not. Like people capitalize all the time on real events. So exactly. Even like, capitalizing on something doesn't prove or disprove that something happened, I think. Um, have you guys ever talked to someone or like heard someone 
speak about having a heavenly visitation, like visiting heaven alive? Because I've heard that. I've heard a firsthand account of not them visiting heaven, but them speaking with an angel. I personally have had that experience. Oh, shit. What? Mm-hmm. What? How has this mm-hmm. not come up before? <laughs> I demand <laughs> answers. I don't know. <laughs> please, please say more. Uh, okay, so I will preface with it did happen at church camp. And so looking back on it, I do believe that there were definitely some spiritual highs that were happening. But also, I do believe in that moment I was visited by an angel. And what had happened was this was when I was in fourth grade. It was after a campfire one night. We were getting ready for bed and the girls were in one cabin, the boys were in the other. And I remember I was staying in a cabin that had uh, a second floor. And so I loved being on the second floor because you could get away with sneaking in food and staying up late and whatever. And for for some reason that night, I didn't want to stay up late. I was just kind of tired from the day. And so I was ready to go to sleep. And I'm sleeping and I keep hearing the stairs creaking and I know the cabin's noisy and I kind of just was ignoring it, but then I kept hearing the stairs creaking and I'm like, it's not windy outside and there's no one on the stairs, obviously, because I would hear doors opening or anything like girls talking or whatever. And I remember very, very intently feeling cold but in a way that I had never felt before. The cabins are cold. I'm used to that, but I felt cold in a way that was like internal. And I remember sitting up and looking over and there was this white glowing figure at the foot of my bed. And she was beautiful. She didn't have any distinct facial features, but I knew that it was a woman. And I remember she didn't say anything, but she was just looking at me. And then all of a sudden just poof. In an instant. It was so bizarre. And I didn't, I honest to God thought I was going crazy. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm going back to bed. That following night, I saw that same thing, that same figure in the campfire. I wasn't even aware of it until a friend of mine had said, Did you see that? And pointed to the fire. And I didn't tell anyone of my experience either because I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was sleep deprived. I thought I was loopy and I didn't know how to make sense of it. So I didn't talk about it with my friends later that following morning. And so for a friend to point to the fire and say, did you see that? It was really eerie. And I, to this day, do think I did see an angel, but I don't know what else to glean from that experience. Whoa. Surprised you have not brought this up before. I'm kind of shocked too. I feel like I've heard people talk about, I think this happens a lot in the charismatic world people who tend to be in places uh, where they are calling themselves prophets or people of authority, um, of people visiting heaven and being shown heavenly things. And usually it like involves like a message that was given to them, of course. And then I've also heard people like uphold the idea and purport that they have experienced uh, that you should seek angelic visitation, like you should pray for it. And also that you should seek and pray for Jesus visiting you. And I think in those circles, I think that they tend to be fringe even in the charismatic world, but I think that they often uphold people who say that they've been visited by angels and Jesus. And Emily, I'm not saying that you're doing that, but I think that it's like, I think it's very common 
in a lot of circles for people to like say that they've experienced these things and it to be rewarded mm, either mm-hmm. like monetarily or just socially. I think it's very rare to your credit, Emily. I think it's very rare for people to like say that they've experienced something that they believe was supernatural and to kind of be in this place of like, I'm not sure what to do with it. Mm-hmm. I respect that a lot. Now talking about it, because it's been a long time since I even shared that with people. I think the only person I ever actually shared that with was my mom when she mm. picked me up after camp, of course. And she thought it was just like the coolest thing ever. She was like, this is amazing. But she didn't want to like mm. get anything. She just thought it was really cool that I had an encounter like that. And I remember years later after experiencing like my friend passing away and then like starting the ordination process and writing papers about what were foundational experiences for you in starting ordination and all that, that was probably one that really spooked me Mm. and made me question God. Like, what is this? (laughs) Like, God, what are you doing? What is the purpose of this? Because as a fourth grader, yeah, I really wouldn't know how to make sense of that. And even now as a 28-year-old, I'm still wrestling with what what was that all about? Was that even real? Was it even something that I was meant to experience or whatever I want to frame it as? But it is. I think it is interesting how experiences, whether it be near death or just things that happen out of the ordinary, something that you witness or whatever the case may be, how those moments can shape and define how you act basically for the rest of your life. Yeah, definitely. I have a question for you two. Kind of going back to the original statement that was made about the heaven is for real kid. Recognizing that, you know, I like I don't know if we could put a statistical number on how many of these stories are there for either capitalization or asking for attention. I wonder how you would think about, let's assume that 100% of these cases is people asking for attention. How do you think we ought to treat them? (laughs) My go-to answer was going to be treat them the way you want to be treated. Very golden rule. Yeah. But now actually hearing those words come out of my mouth and reflecting on the question, I absolutely think that should be how we should treat them because- If you were in their shoes and you are experiencing something like that and you find yourself wanting to gleam fame and glory from this moment and you realize that it didn't truly happen, uh, how would you want to be treated? So whether or not like they should face persecution, I don't know. I think we need to handle them with care and not, not make them feel guilt and shame to the point where then they're like, oh my God, I'm this horrible human being and I'm a failure and we've already had a conversation about that. But there are ways, I think, of having having confrontation and care coexist. And I think it's in those moments that Mm. that can happen. Yeah. Like, I think it's valid for people to say, you're causing harm by doing this. Like, you need to see that. And I respect you as a person and it's because I see you and I, I love you and I validate you that you need to be aware of what you are doing. I think that can happen with care. Without making them feel like they're crazy or Mm -hmm. now deserve to be the pariah. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of it is also cultural too. Like if you already exist in a culture where 
you saying you had a specific encounter is rewarded and platformed and praised and etc. Like without question, whether or not the events happened, you become a lot more likely to speak up about an encounter that you say you had. And I think that if you're more in a culture of like diligence and like taking people at their word, but treating them just the same, I think that that can do a lot for a person who in some way or another is seeking attention, but not that that's like a bad thing. Like I I think that like if anybody is seeking attention, that should be taken seriously, whether or not like what they're saying is accurate or realistic or whatever. Well, I like, I like the way that Emily was speaking about it earlier with individuals that she has had in her church, I guess, is that almost like a redirect I found actually really wholesome in that, okay, I let me validate, validate your story. I'm not going to immediately ask for the proof or what it could mean, but I'm going, I'm going to affirm that you had an experience and then the conversation begins begins to be about something else. I really liked the way Emily was yeah. saying that of like, then it became the conversation was like, well, how do you experience God then? Because if you experienced hell in a vision or a dream or a near death experience, like is that your psyche presenting God to you as you believe God is or <laughs> like it's, it almost feels like a weird litmus. Like it became a weird litmus test of like, how do you think the world is actually oriented toward mm-hmm. you or against you? Yeah. But then that allows it to become about that conversation, about what they believe God is like, what they believe the universe is like. And then the conversation gets to be something other than the experience. Cause I think it's one thing to affirm the story. It's one thing to allow that story to become their identity mm-hmm. and like the foundation of your friendship of like, Oh, this is the one person who, you know, basically saw beneath the layers of a fantastical story to see more or less a cry for help for attention. But if it only goes into like, well, tell me every detail. I want to know everything. And like now, now you are the friend who has had an experience, you know, it's like, let's make the relationship about something else. And I still Mm -hmm. get to validate that that was an experience you had. Because I think that that does a lot to both affirm that they're, you know, that they're not crazy and now they're not going to be filled with a bunch of self-doubt about that, but it also allows a relationship. However, that turns into like a friendship or, you know, I mean, even just an acquaintance, but at least the relationship isn't built on, Oh, that's the guy who saw a UFO, you know, like Mm -hmm. then that's a reliable well that they can keep returning to is like, I need more attention. I'm going to start talking about it more. Well, and then to that point, I think that the more that we, believe people and don't treat them like they're insane, the more likely they are to be vulnerable. And like, if somebody did make something up like that heaven is for real kid, they're going to feel a lot more safe admitting to that. If like, we're not like, if our go-to reaction is not interrogation, totally. If our go-to reaction is trust and we, we show them if, if we just treat people with trust and, and humanity, the way that we would want to be treated. Like you said, Emily, I think that it's, I think that truth always comes to light. That's one of the most Christian easy things I've said on this show. But I think that Stephen, to your point about objective reality, I think that the more we search for it, the more we will find it. Well, thanks for diving into this topic with me. It 
the conversations nice. were exactly how I envisioned and even better. So <laughs> this is great. Thank you. Wow, you got it. A few episodes ago, I, I outed it. myself as saying I'm willing to claim the term evangelical again. And now I'm back to believing in <laughs> spiritual realmony. <laughs> Stay tuned next what week to find out what Stephen believing this week. Yeah. Well, what identity is Stephen claiming this week? It's it's <laughs> it's a fun game that we like to play. Um, but yeah, so thanks again. This was really fun. Amazing. I don't know if I really have any words other than Yeah, how do you want to kill the episode? What, did you say how to kill the episode? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are we going to make this episode have a new death experience? Well, yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Uh However you experience the divine, whether it is a near-death experience or in the ordinary, everyday life, there are messages that we can glean from them. And I think it's worth having conversations about and dissecting and being smart about it. Don't take advantage of it. Don't take advantage of people, okay? Just be smart. Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.